Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Good to see Ethan this morning here visiting with us. Glad to have him. Uh, Good to see uh, Charity and Isaac. Nope, Eric. See, it's Eric. No, it is Isaac. I was right. They say always go with that first impression that comes in your mind. And see, I second guess myself. Amen. But glad to have both of you. Amen. This morning, the house of the Lord uh, with us this morning as well. Amen. Just good to see everybody. Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. And I'm going to begin reading with verse number 30. Verse number 30. The Bible says, And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, and he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father i know this is a very peculiar passage of scripture okay and he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger behold i lay yesternight with my father let us make him drink wine this night also and go thou in and lie with him that we may preserve seed of our father and they made their father drink wine that night also and the younger arose and lay with him And he perceived not when she lay down or when she arose. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. My subject matter and topic or title today uh, is very, very simple. It's one word. All right. But hopefully we can get through this this morning. I want to talk to us this morning about intoxication. Intoxication. On multiple levels, even more so than probably what's just illustrated here in the scripture. Intoxication. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I come to you today. I'm so thankful, Lord Jesus, for another opportunity to be in your house. I'm grateful, Lord, for those that have gathered together on this Sunday morning, God, to come and give of themselves, Lord Jesus, of their time, Lord, to God, this place, and Lord, to worship of you. I pray, Lord, touch our hearts today. God, let the anointing of your spirit, God, meet us in this place and speak and minister, Lord God, to the needs of the people, Lord, through your word, and will not fail to thank you, Lord, for what you do and what you accomplish through and by your word. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, Amen and amen. The church say amen. You may be seated this morning in Jesus' name today. Intoxication. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, intoxicated means affected by alcohol or drugs, especially to the point where physical and mental control is markedly diminished. When we look at the word origin of the words intoxication or intoxicate words along those lines, they come to us around the mid 15th century from the medieval Latin word intoxicatus, the past participle of intoxicare. The prefix in means in, but the Latin word toxicare means to poison. Together, we understand the words intoxicated or intoxication originally meant to poison in or to poison within. Someone abusing drugs or alcohol is being poisoned within by what they consume, by what they ingest in their body. We have heard even in our day, in our generation, and throughout generations, you've heard of people who have experienced alcohol poisoning as the verbiage is an intoxicated person may 
also during the moments of their intoxication may experience what is commonly called a blackout. Blackouts are associated with heavy drinking resulting in a rapid rise in their blood alcohol content in their body. I'm understanding or have learned that a blackout does not mean that a person necessarily becomes unconscious like falling asleep because a person experiencing what they deem as a blackout may continue to interact with others. They may engage in routine practices like walking or eating meals and brushing their teeth, so on and so forth. Or they may even engage in other potentially dangerous behaviors such as destroying property and spending perhaps too much money than what they would normally spend or being sexually promiscuous. The end result is this, is that a person experiencing a blackout may seem to be present in the moment but they will not remember the moment. Intoxication interferes with the brain's ability to form long, new long-term memories. Typically, the process, and this is much abbreviated, but typically the process for storing an experience in the long-term memory storage happens like this. A person has some sort of sensory information by their sight, their sound, their taste, the senses of the body, some sort of sensory information. And it is transferred from their sensory memory to a short-term memory. It is in that position of the short-term memory that there is a rehearsal of the original memory over and over again. It's rehearsed in that short-term memory place. And then that information is then transferred into the long-term memory. However, from my my study, I've learned that our depth of processing and attention to any given memory is, of course, vital for its transference into our long-term memory. And so, therefore, what can happen with someone intoxicated that experiences, per se, a blackout, uh, that individual may have got drunk to begin with because they had some memories they were trying to get rid of. Right, some past experiences or things going on in their lives. But what will happen when it's all said and done, the drunkard will keep the old memories that drove them to drinking in the first place. And if they blacked out during their drunken stupor, they have no recollection of the activities or the high, if you will, of the moment when they were high. So they still have all the baggage that they had before, but they don't have any new memory about what occurred, what happened, or what took place. Is everybody doing all right? In some commentaries, whenever you read the last portion of Genesis chapter number 30 and you come to verse number 31, there are many that stop translating the rest of the chapter. There's many that stop commenting on the rest of the chapter. I even observe some that say that the verses that I read to you this morning should never be preached on. But I'm here to tell you that we cannot sidestep the verses that I read and you're hearing this morning because it seems to showcase two daughters that have an incestuous relationship with their father. I'm telling you, we must look at them to uncover, if you will, the importance, dangers, or possibilities of intoxication. Just stay with me here a little bit. The Bible says that Lot, the man that was the father of these two daughters, he was around 65 years old when all of this took place. He had lived in a place called Sodom in an area of Gomorrah for about 20 years. This is what the apostle Peter recorded concerning Sodom and Gomorrah in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse number 6. And turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly verse 7 and delivered just lot whenever it says just lot it doesn't mean only lot it's talking about righteous lot just lot vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked verse 8 for that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. Lot is described according to the apostle Peter looking back. Lot is described as a righteous man or more plainly a righteous man that had been affected and had been impacted by the environment that he was surrounded with. Lot may have been indeed a righteous man but he was not a man without fault as is with every righteous man not men or women without fault. 
I realize that the Bible tells us concerning his involvement with Sodom and Gomorrah, this ungodly, wicked place and city. The Bible says in the Old Testament that Lot pitched his tent Toward Sodom. I understood that he did that. I understand that the Bible says that Lot at one time prior to this moment that I read to you offered his daughters as substitutes when the men of the city that he was dwelling in wanted to take advantage of some angelic visitors and guests in his house. Rather than offering these men the angelic guests, he said, I'll give you my two daughters to do whatever you want to do. I understand. We're talking about a righteous man, but a righteous man that had some faults. I understand that he did that. I understand that the Bible says whenever God came down and said I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah with fire and brimstone, that whenever that word was brought unto Lot, the Bible says instead of him picking up his belongings, his family and getting out of Dodge, the Bible says that Lot lingered when he should have been leaving Sodom and Gomorrah. I understand that. The Bible says that he struck an agreement amen, even with God trying to strike an agreement that God God, rather than going to the mountains where you have prescribed, I would much rather go to Zoar, a city, a place that is near to where I just came out of. He struck that deal with God and fled to Zoar. And yet some key things that lend to his righteousness, in fact, may be some of these, is the fact that he was, by God, rescued from the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of the good things concerning Lot is that he did show hospitality to the angelic visitation that came to him in Sodom and Gomorrah. He did try to keep some people from harm and evil as we see during his stay of Sodom and Gomorrah. So I'm sure Lot was righteous in comparison to his environment. I'm sure he was righteous compared to other people that were in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. But his soul, amen, was not unscathed from his living conditions, his environment, his surroundings, so much so that the Bible says it like this and the apostle Peter says it like this that he was vexed daily with the circumstances and the situations that was around him. Lot has already, by the time of our scripture reading, he has already lost his wife. His daughters have already lost their potential husbands. Sodom and Gomorrah, along with the five cities of the plain, the Bible says, has been destroyed with fire and brimstone. Amen. And though the writing of the Mosaic law has not taken place yet, the law's not been pinned down yet. It was not yet in existence. Still, although that has not taken place, there were still other prevailing laws of that day that already viewed incest negatively by Lot's time period, by the time that this happened in his own family. We can't really to a certain degree fault his daughters to a great degree because they're just living out the moral standards that they grew up with in Sodom and Gomorrah. They are just mirroring and picturing and acting out the things that they seen and the things that they observed whenever they grew up in Sodom and Gomorrah. For that matter, the Bible seems to convey to us that these two ladies were going to marry two men of Sodom. And so you can't have too high of moral scruples in order to marry two men of Sodom of wickedness and ungodliness. Someone say amen. But the key to our story this morning is this. The Bible says that after their potential husbands are taken away because of the destruction, after Lot's wife has, has been taken away because she looked back at the city that she once loved and adored and turned into a pillar of salt, the Bible says the eldest daughter of this two begins to devise a plan and she begins to think how they might preserve the seed of their father and how they might have families of their own because to their estimation, Everybody in the region is dead. Everybody in the region. There's not even a husband in close distance or a man in close distance in order to be their husbands. And so they're saying to themselves, how can we preserve the seed of our father? He's old. Mom's dead now. We don't have any husbands. And so each of them decided that they would lie. They would lay down with their own father in an incestuous relationship in order to preserve seed. But the eldest daughter said, said this. 
flesh, in order for us to lay down with dad, in order for us to have this incestuous relationship with our father, then we're going to have to get dad drunk. We're going to have to get him drinking some wine. He's going to have to be intoxicated. In other words, the eldest daughter had in her mind this, that they would have to get dad intoxicated in order for the plan to work. There's something that was inside of this daughter that knew that Lot would not be unchaste while sober. Lot would not be unchaste with all the faculties of his mind working properly. He would not do what they wanted to do unless he was intoxicated and didn't. Oh, someone say amen. What I'm saying this morning is this. One of the dangers of intoxication is that you will do things you wouldn't normally do when you're sober. Those girls must have been convinced that there's no way that we could have a sensible conversation with dad and sit down around the table in the mountain and say, dad, we'd really like to preserve your seed and we would like to have a family. Could we go to bed together? We could never have a sensible talk or conversation like that with dad if he was sober. He'd raise his eyebrows. He would probably know clear his throat. He'd probably have something to say if we were to talk to him in a sober state. But we need to preserve some things. Yeah, that's an honorable purpose. But Lot, that wouldn't fly for a sober Lot. That wouldn't fly for a Lot that had his mental capacity to be able to think things through on his own. But you must understand that sort of thing happened every day in Sodom. That sort of thing happened every day in Gomorrah. That type of thing was the very thing that vexed Saul, Lot's soul. You're not going to get Lot, a sober Lot, to enter into something that vexed his soul every day that he lived in Sodom and Gomorrah. He wouldn't entertain that action. That was torturous to him to see that community act like that. It pained him to see them act like that. But all it took for Lot to flip and do the very thing that others did in Gomorrah was to get the man intoxicated. It may have vexed his soul, tortured his soul, pained his soul to see all that take place. But the only, and you might say, how in the world, Lot, can you do that? One word, intoxication. Can I tell someone today, you've been an observer of it, and I have too. People have blown their family's resources for food and clothing due to intoxication. People have abused the very ones they loved because of intoxication. Spouses have left and split ways 30 and 40 years of marriages because of intoxication. Hatred, intoxication, murders because of intoxication, strife at times because somebody was under the influence of intoxication. sober person would have done it. A person in the right mind would have committed that, but an intoxicated person would. Someone doing all right? I'm just building a little foundation here. But not only that, people intoxicated to the point of blackouts won't even remember what they did when they were drunk. Some of you I know can speak probably from experience this morning. But they may have a scar from a fight they can't remember. They may have to deal with another person's hurt feelings from an argument they can't recall. They may wake up in a stranger's bed only to be told that they, their company was enjoyed without any recollection of what truly happened or how they got there. Is everybody Okay. And if you've never been there, you might be saying, how in the world can that happen? How in the world can they do that? I'll tell you how they became intoxicated. They were poisoned from within. And the things that they consumed heavily and rapidly that have no significant, let me throw this in, spiritual value even as a church, will intoxicate us. Oh yeah. I've seen righteous people intoxicated with money. I've seen righteous people intoxicated with pleasure. 
I've seen righteous people intoxicated with pride, intoxicated with entertainment, intoxicated with lust of the eyes and lust of the flesh, intoxicate. Someone say amen. Here's the problem with intoxication. When you get intoxicated, Christian or not Christian, I'm not talking about alcohol right now. I'm saying there are other things in our life that we can get intoxicated on. When you do that, you may start to act dangerously. You might not hear me today, folks, Christians. Amen, church family. When you get intoxicated on other things than the things that be of God, you won't worship like you once worshiped. You won't sing like you used to sing. You won't participate like you once participated. When we get under the influence of carnal things, I've seen people skip church, skip prayer, skip devotion. A sober child of God, they may shy away from that, but an intoxicated one for sure will. Twice in our text, it says, he, speaking of Lot, perceived not when she, speaking of one of his daughters, lay down or when she arose. Why? Because he was intoxicated in the moment. He was poisoned within. When you are intoxicated, I'm speaking on spiritual levels right now. When you are intoxicated, you're not always aware of the things that you lay with. You're not always aware of the things that you reproduce in your intoxicated moment. Oh, it's all right. They'll enter your life and they'll leave your life and you're none the wiser until the product of that intoxicated moment starts showing. embrace what I got to say today but I'm telling you it's the truth you'll find yourself going down lanes and avenues amen as a child of God in the church you shouldn't be going down that you shouldn't be doing and you're getting intoxicated with things a sober Paul McGee wouldn't do that but a drunk Paul McGee on other things might he'll do things that he wouldn't normally do and I might not even know per se what I got myself into until the consequence or the product of the moment Someone say amen. Both of those girls start showing they're pregnant. He might not have normally done that, but that's the danger of intoxication. No wonder the apostle Paul, I believe, stands on his tiptoes in the New Testament scripture. And he says in 1 Peter 5, 8, notice the first words out of his mouth. He says, be sober. Someone say be sober. Be sober. Be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. The first thing out of the the apostle's mouth, the apostle Peter's mouth, wasn't, hey, wait a minute, there's a lion looking for you. No, no. The first words out of his mouth wasn't, hey, be alert, be vigilant. No, that wasn't. The first words out of his mouth, it says you gotta be sober because if you're not sober, you'll get involved with some things you never got involved with beforehand. You gotta keep yourself from being intoxicated. Someone hear me right now. The devil loses his foothold when he's dealing with a sober Christian. The devil loses his foothold when he's dealing with somebody that's got their mental faculties where they need to be. The Bible says set your affection on those things that are above. That's something we got control over. We must be sober. The devil has to pick up his little sleuth game, if you will, when he's dealing with a sober child of God. First thing Peter mentions is our soberness. Because when you're dealing with a lion, it pays to be sober. If you're not sober, you might might mistaken the lion as an oversized kitty cat. You hear what I'm telling you? Purr. Run your fingers through its mane. Huh? Someone say amen. And the second aspect of the verse, we can't be vigilant. We can't be alert if we're not sober. Whenever I read in the New Testament scripture, there are lists in First and Second Timothy and also in the book of Titus. In these lists are 
not just recommendations, but expectations for those who would desire the office of a bishop or desire the office of a deacon, uh, not just them, but also their wives. Also in First and Second Timothy and in Titus, there are other lists, expectations and things that were expected of young men and young ladies and aged men and aged ladies and as I looked at all these different things in the scripture of the New Testament brother Zach and I looked at all the lists there was a common thread among all of them some of them is the husband of one wife some of them is to rule your children well they have all these different expectations but there is a theme whether you desire to be a bishop a deacon an elder or if he was an aged woman aged man young woman young man there was one thread common among all of them and the common admonition for all is that they would be sober what that tells me is this. It doesn't matter if you hold an office or you don't hold an office. Whether you're aged or not. Or whether you're old or young. It doesn't matter. You must be sober. Because intoxication is not gender specific. It's not age exclusive. Neither is it road discriminant. And it is a poison within for whoever would consume it. It can take the deacon just as much as it can take the bishop. It can take the age just as much as it can take the young we must be sober someone say amen and perhaps some of the most dangerous aspects of even blackouts with an intoxicated person is this is that intoxicated person may someone hear me today may do their regular routine I read papers on it. I'm talking about scientific journals this week. They may do their regular routine and have no memory of it. They can eat, they can walk, can do some of their regular routine and have no memory. Not remember eating or what they ate. Not remember walking or where they walked. Someone say amen. Why is that so dangerous? I'll tell you why that's dangerous for the church in a spiritual sense. Because the ploy of the adversary is this. To get us so intoxicated with other things outside of his things that will still come to church and go to our routine and seem to be present in the moment but won't be able to remember the moment. Yeah, yeah. Be able to be there in the moment but while you're here you're intoxicated with other things. You'll never remember the song that was sung, the message that was preached, the power that fell because you're intoxicated. We were there, but we couldn't tell you what we sang. We were there, but I couldn't tell you what the altar call was like. We were there, amen, but anything meaningful that was conveyed in the moment, I just really don't know much about why because I was intoxicated with that which was outside the four walls and with that over there and with that over there and it's preventing our brains from making any long-term memory. You may, have felt, you may have felt something, heard something, or even participated in something meaningful. But intoxication can cause it to be, you to be too distracted. That whenever that sensory memory moves into your short-term memory, you can be too distracted to rehearse what you just experienced. And you're not able to rehearse what happened or rehearse what went on. And so you're lacking then sometimes the ability of transferring that to long-term memory. And so we leave moments just like today with no recollection of what we heard, amen, what we did, or maybe what we felt because we're under the influence of other things. Everybody doing okay? That diminish our physical, and when it comes to our flesh, our mental control. The book of Revelation is clear. It speaks of 
the powers of Babylon, whether it be, and the Bible speaks of Babylon in a couple different ways. Some people say there are two Babylons. I've always uh, been under the subjection or the spirit that there's only one Babylon that has a couple different facets. There's a religious Babylon and there's a political Babylon. And Babylon in a certain sort is an entity or a person, but it is endued by a spirit, the spirit of Babylon that displayed itself all the way back even during the days of Genesis 10 and 11 at the tower of Babel the spirit of Babel all the way back in Genesis was that the people wanted to do opposite of whatever God wanted them to do amen after the flood God says be fruitful multiply replenish the earth that's going to cause some of you have to you, 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 you're going to have relationships with one another but in order to replenish the earth you're going to have to dispatch and you're going to have to spread about. Well the, the attitude around Babel was that this let us build us a tower that reaches unto heaven and you can read it in Genesis 11 4 and this was their main purpose so that we won't be scattered abroad. That was in total opposition to what God desired. That was the spirit of Babel or Babylon all the way back there in the book of Genesis. And that spirit has lingered and made its way through generation after generation all the way even into our generation and it'll surpass us as well because we find it then in the book of Revelation. You can read of it for yourself in Revelation 17 and 2 and Revelation 18 and 3. There is this Babylon entity that's there. Some of the chapters call her a great whore but she is described, listen to me well, she is described as making kings and nations and the inhabitants of the earth drunk with the wine of her fornication. In other words, the Bible conveys to us in that day, we will come to a place, the world, <laughs> that the world and kings and the inhabitants of the earth and nations will have, if you will, relations with this great whore or this Babylon spirit that is totally diabolical to the ways and the plans and the attitudes of God. And the reason why they do that is because, first of all, they will have become intoxicated. talk to you about the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to know about Revelation. Last day things. What's going to happen? I'll tell you what's going to happen. If we don't stay sober, we're going to get in bed with foreign affairs that's totally against God. That's the way it's written in the book of Revelation. That they would get intoxicated and due to their intoxication they would have relationships with things they should never have relationships with. They would be entering beds of fortification. Amen. That would be against the spirit and the power of God. And folks, if that is the postscript for the end of the age, I must urge you today as a pastor here in Mount Carmel, we must be sober. Ephesians 5 verse 18, the apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. He says, and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, Paul is not addressing a social matter here as much as he is addressing a theological matter here. He sets up a contrast for us. Because during this hour that Paul is preaching to the church at Ephesus, it's during this era of Greek culture that much of the religions involved at this time in the world, they involved drunkenness just as they did immorality as a part of their religious services and practices. They believed getting drunk and being immoral was a part of their religious services. They believed a person in a state of drunkenness could enter a realm of communication with the little G-O-D-S gods that would be unparalleled, unable to be compared to anything. They believed that through drunkenness they would enter a realm of if you will euphoria and exhilaration with the gods and so Paul's coming to the forefront with a world with that type of mindset and he's saying don't be intoxicated with that stuff be intoxicated with the spirit of God 
Don't be filled with that type of intoxication. Be filled with the Spirit. Because he's saying the drunk is controlled by the substance they've been consuming. He says, so don't be controlled by wine or spirits. <laughs> he said, but be controlled by the Spirit. be frank today we allow a lot of things that control us some of us even got some of the most dogmatic attitudes that nobody's going to tell me what to do but we allow some things to lead us around by the nose and we don't even realize it Uh huh. Apostle said, he said, don't be drunk on that stuff. Don't be intoxicated on that. Don't be under the power of that. Be under the power of the Spirit of God. If you're in the power of those things, they're going to cause you to do things that's diabolical to the Spirit of God. But if you're under the influence of God, you will do the things that God wants you to do, that His scriptures would beg of you to do, that the law asks of you to do. If you'll get under and intoxicated by the power of the Spirit, someone say amen. We read, listen folks, we read, do we not? In Acts chapter number two, 120 were gathered in an upper room. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. The disciples were there. The Bible says they were involved in a prayer meeting. They were praying that they might be endued with power from on high. They were following the prescription of Jesus Christ. Go tarry in Jerusalem that you might be endued with power. They are there praying and they're talking to God. And the Bible says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit of God gave utterance on this day called Pentecost that came 50 days past Passover there were at Pentecost every nation, every tongue every race that had gathered together for this great festival and as they are there the Bible says what happened in that upper room was noised abroad and this one heard about it and that one heard about it and everybody converged there to see what was going on and some heard other people speaking in their native language and tongue and they weren't from their land and the Bible says some of them were amazed and others of them mocked. Look at your Bible. It says some of them were amazed and some of them mocked. Verse 13 says of Acts 2 saying these men are full of new wine. They're full of new wine. They're mocking. You know what they're saying? These guys are intoxicated. These guys are drunk. What did the fame words of Peter say? And Peter chapter, or Acts chapter 2 and verse 15, he arises to address the accusation of them being drunk. I like this. He says, for these are not drunk as ye suppose. Seeing it is but the third hour of the day. Watch me now. Peter didn't say they weren't drunk. He just said they're not drunk like you think they're drunk. He didn't say, Brother Fred, they're not intoxicated. He just said they're not intoxicated like you think they're intoxicated. Oh, God. Let me tell you, the only sec or the, the best thing you can do outside of being sober is being intoxicated by the Spirit. He said they're not drunk as ye suppose, seeing that it is but the third hour of the day. Amen. They were not drunk as they suppose, as, as society, as other people, as the world knew drunkenness. They weren't drunken, drunken after that manner. Can I tell you, this intoxication of the Holy Ghost and of the Spirit is not a poison within, but it's life within. And yes, it may a physical, it may affect you physically, and it may affect you mentally. Amen. But it will not diminish away. It's a hyphen to someone say glory. Hold on now. Yeah, yeah. These are not drunk as you suppose. Because listen, some of them, we, we have the record of Acts. We, of course, if everything that was written that could be written. John said the, the book even wouldn't hold it. You wouldn't be able to carry it. If everything was recorded, that, that happened. And if I know how people act under the influence of the Holy Ghost today, then I'm telling you 
that there were probably some on the day of Pentecost that were acting in ways that betrayed their culture. There were some, we have evidence of according to the record, that were speaking in other languages that were not common for their mouths to speak in. But more importantly, they were not drunk to the degree or this type of drunkenness by the Spirit, if I could clarify by saying this, when it's all said and done, you're going to have a recollection about this in the morning. No, 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 you don't hear me right now. What I'm saying is this. They did studies that people that were in those drunken, blunk-out states, they could ask somebody about what they just did in two minutes and they may remember it. But as they took took that time frame a little further out, they did studies at 30 minutes. They couldn't tell them what they did 30 minutes ago. In that blunk-out, drunken state, 24 hours later, they couldn't tell them what they did or what happened. But what I am telling you, an intoxication of the Spirit, you'll be able to tell what happened two minutes ago, 30 minutes ago, 24 hours ago. You're not hearing me. Back here in our leadership on, on, on before services when we had prayer for some time now, I just felt in my spirit that as we had each of our meetings before service, that I wanted a different individual to share with us their salvation story, their baptism in Jesus' name, their infilling of the Holy Ghost story. And we've not got through everybody yet, but a lot of people's already told theirs. And it's so refreshing. Some of them even know exactly what they had on. Where it was. How it happened. What the date was. How many years ago. What are you saying? I'm saying they were intoxicated on the spirit, but all of that shifted to long-term memory. You're not going to be able to take away from them their high, their experience, their exuberance. The drunk may not remember it in the morning, but there's even backsliders today that's been gone for 20 years that can still tell you when they were intoxicated by the power of the the Holy Ghost. Don't be drunk with wine wearing his excess. Be filled with the Spirit today. tell you what they felt, what they saw, what they heard. Yeah. I tell you, I kneeled on this side of the altar, not this altar. I tell you, it was on this side. I tell you, the carpet was green. I tell you, it was a Friday night youth service. It was in 1986. I can tell you. I tell you, I was going, uh, my mom thought I was going to the restroom at the end of the service. She said, Pa Robert, this isn't the appropriate time to use the restroom. I said, I'm not going to the restroom. I'm going to the altar. But there's something that happened there in just a few moments, Brother Terry. I felt like I entered a different realm. Amen. This world didn't mean much to me. The intoxications of this world, amen, didn't beckon to me in that moment. I was intoxicated by a spirit. I was intoxicated by the power of the Holy Ghost. Those on the day of Pentecost were under the influence of another. They're doing things they normally wouldn't do. But they would be aware of it days upon days and years upon years. From that moment, they would remember it forever. Because once that happens, once those sensory memories of sight, sound, taste, touch happen in that moment of being intoxicated by the Spirit, I think upon that and rehearse it over and over. Woo! And that helps transfer that to my long-term memory. If I have that rehearsal without distraction, it'll help sear that in my mind in so much again that if anybody ever even leaves God, they won't forget the experience they once had with God. If you'll stand for me this morning... (laughs) The eldest daughter told the younger, said, we're going to have to get dad drunk. Because otherwise, he wouldn't do about what we want him to do. I'm here to tell you today, Paul McGee in my flesh by myself, there's a lot of things that even God prescribes in this word I'd never do. 
if it wasn't for being intoxicated by a spirit. Maybe part of the difficulty with some of us is we're trying to do it without being intoxicated. But it won't work that way. We just need to get intoxicated by the Spirit. The Bible says this, and I'm coming too close. Deuteronomy chapter 29 and verse number 1. I'm going to also read verse number 6. These are the words of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab beside the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. Please note, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy is noted, it, 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 it means literally book of remembrance. And so what Moses is doing for the most part through the book of, of Deuteronomy, he is recalling things and he's, rec- he's bringing the minds of the people to a place of recollection for them to remember. And the words of the covenant had already been spoken at Horeb. It had already been spoken at the Mount of God. They had no sooner been set free and delivered from their Egyptian bondage that then God puts law and order and organization in place at the Mount of God. But now... He is bringing it to their attention again in the land of Moab. He's bringing it to their attention. And this is what he says in verse 6, some of the things that he relays. He speaks to them. And note that this is, this is really the second generation. This is the young kid generation of the parents that left Egypt. All right? Remember they had 40 years in the wilderness that they just traveled around. This is really the the kids of those that made their wanderings in the wilderness. He says, you have not eaten bread. He's calling to memory what God did for their parents, what God did in those 40 years. He said, you have not eaten bread. It's because they ate manna, ate manna from heaven, quail from heaven. So you didn't eat bread. You, You had these things. Look, he says, neither have you. This is important. He says, neither have you drunk wine or strong drink. They had water that flowed from a rock of all places. Water. He said, you, didn't. you know what he's saying? He said, you weren't intoxicated on things that didn't matter. You weren't intoxicated just with those type of things. He says, look, the reason being that ye might know. I like that. That ye might know that I am the Lord your God. Again, Horeb, Mount Horeb, that takes place when Israel just left Egypt. Moab, that takes place just as Israel is about to enter the land of promise, the land of Canaan. Horeb was notably for the first generation. Moab was for the next generation. They are standing. This is important. I am closing. Seriously, I'm not lying. They are standing, the Bible says, in the land or the plains of Moab. Moab was one of the sons of the incestuous relationship that Lot's daughter had with her father. Moab was the product of a man that let himself get intoxicated. So as they're standing in the land and in the area of a child that was a product of intoxication. Moses reminds Israel, you were not drunk with strong drink. And you were not drunk with wine. And as a result of that, you're not staying in Moab. You're crossing over Jordan into the land of promise, a land that flows with milk. Oh, God help me, oh Lord. He says, where you stand today is the product of intoxication. He says, but where you're going, Where you're going is on the opposite side of Jordan. Someone hearing me right now? He said, the land of Moab is where some of you have been for 40 years. Your parents died out here. This is where the 40 years wandering happened out here. He says, but we're, we're going over here because you were sober concerning those things, but you were intoxicated by me and what pleased me and what was acceptable to me. He said, we're going on over. He says, you weren't drunk with those things. Why? He said, that you might know that I am the Lord, your God. 
Because the greatest danger of intoxication in our spiritual lives is this. Is that it will make us forget. We'll, we'll start to forget that there, there is a God. And we'll start to forget that there is a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. And we'll, we'll think that life just consists of the 70 years that we live in this time upon earth. I'm here to tell you. The plains of Moab isn't the only location. There is a promised land. Moses says, I'm going to call your minds to remembrance here. I'm going to call your minds to remembrance. I'm going to call you back to the memories of Israel. And I'm going to call you back to their journeyings in the land. In the land of a son whose father... Listen to me. I, I want, I'm calling your minds back to remembrance. In the land of a son whose father couldn't even remember the day he was conceived because he was intoxicated. We've got to be careful what we're intoxicated with. We've got to be careful what we give our lives to. We've got to be careful what we subject to. We've got to be careful what we bound bend to. Ladies and gentlemen, whenever it's all said and done and I've had my intoxicated moment in the spirit, I want to be able to remember what I felt, what I touched, what I saw, what I heard, what I experienced. We bow our heads all across this place today. There's hope for us today. You say, Brother McGee, right now I'm, I'm just intoxicated with living life. I'm just I'm intoxicated with, with climbing the corporate ladder and I'm intoxicated with making some money and I'm intoxicated with accruing some, a good home and car and a 401k. I'm just, uh, listen, listen. There's nothing wrong with, 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 with endeavoring some of those things. Just don't allow that to be your priority. Brother McGee, I'm just, I'm just intoxicated with all the entertainment of the world right now. Man, there's so much stuff that's fun and pleasurable. And, you know, I'll get to the church thing. I'll get to, you know, making my life right with God thing. I'll get to all that. The day will come. When will it come, sir? When will it come, ma'am? Will it come before it's time to cross Jordan? Will it come before it's time to leave this life and enter the afterlife? When, when will it come? When it comes to the things of this life that are opposed and against God, be sober. But when it comes to the things of God, spiritual matters, His Spirit, be intoxicated by them. And you'll be able to go forward with a memory of what you experience. I wish I could, I wish I could just record all the stories of people's salvation experience in our leadership circle and just had them play up here just over and over again to you this morning. What that was is people that were intoxicated by the Spirit. But all those sensory things in that moment, they rehearsed in short term and they've been transferred to long term. They can tell you. I could grab today people that are related to me in my most close intimate family and bring them in here. And they would be able to tell you whenever God first came down and touched their life and they received the gift of the Holy Ghost. Why? Because that's the difference between being intoxicated in the spirit and intoxicated with other things of this world. Or maybe I need to make a challenge today to the good righteous lots that are among us. Are you going through your regular routine of coming to church and raising the head and giving a little plea of hallelujah from your mouth, but you're not remembering your time here when you're here? You're here in the moment, but you can't remember the moment. Doesn't have no meaning to you. Doesn't have no, no sure foothold of value to you because you're intoxicated with everything else while you're here. I challenge you today. I challenge you today to be intoxicated with the right things. These altars are open, and I would wish to... Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.